0: I think there's definitely a business case for diversity. When you see diversity in the room, then, you know, you have a different type of feeling perhaps about, okay, this is going to be an impartial process that is reflective of various points of view. Hello, and thank you for listening in this week to Dwayne Mars D&I 360 with Joe West. I'm Anika Anderson-Howard, DEI Manager at Dwayne Morris. Today, we're speaking with the Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at JAMS, Mark Smalls, as he discusses the importance of DEI within ADR.
1: Hi, this is Joe West. I'm a partner at Dwayne Morris. I'm also the Chief Diversity and Inclusion Officer And I am here today with Mark Smalls. Mark is someone I've known a long time, had a great deal of respect for that entire time period, including up to this moment and beyond, I'm sure. Uh, Mark is the senior vice president and chief marketing officer at JAMS. And we want to talk a little bit about his background and career, but we want to focus on uh, the need for diversity and inclusion uh, and more representation among the neutrals, uh, arbitration mediation space. So Mark, welcome.
0: Thank you, Joe. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm, I'm honored to uh, be invited to be a part of this podcast. Thank you,
1: sir. So let's talk a little bit about yourself, your career and uh, your journey up to this point, Mark.
0: Sure, happy to. And as you mentioned, I'm currently the chief marketing officer at JAMS. Uh, I'm. A, I've actually been in marketing for, gosh, almost my entire career. Before coming to JAMS, twelve plus years ago, I held marketing leadership positions at places like Citibank, uh, PepsiCola, Unilever. So I'm a marketing guy that had to had to learn the legal industry, but really have uh, enjoyed uh, my time at JAMS. Uh, My responsibilities here include overseeing the marketing communications area, practice development group, our global business development, and also the diversity team that assists with recruiting while also helping to ensure the success of our our diverse JAMS panelists. Uh, So that's a little bit about um, kind of a condensed version of of my journey uh, before JAMS. I'm, I'm assuming that most of your listeners are familiar with JAMS, but just in case, uh, we're the largest private provider of ADR services in the world. I have uh, 29 offices globally, well over 400 neutrals on our panel. And we focus primarily on commercial disputes, but we also handle matters related to employment, family law, and personal injury. And in addition to mediation and arbitration, rep- which represent our two largest lines of business, we offer a range of other dispute resolution related services including training, facilitation, an early stage conflict resolution.
1: Mark, uh, thank you for that. I was gonna, I was gonna say that you know those of us who are trial lawyers are very familiar with jams, but there might be people listening who are not. So thank you for giving that primer on jams and and what they are and who you guys are. Uh, before we talk about the topic that we're here for, I I do want to ask this question. Uh, when I back in the Middle Ages, when I started trying cases. Uh, <laughs> Alternative dispute resolution really was not a thing. You know, if you if uh, a a judge or uh, some other uh, entity associated with the bench could not twist enough arms and make you settle a case, you went to trial. and You tried the case. Right. right. Um, There came a time, though, when uh, ADR just exploded. I think uh, clients became a little bit more. Risk averse and saw uh, ADR as a safer solution um, give me your assessment of why you think ADR uh, over the last 20 25 years has become more prevalent and whether or not you think that trend will continue
0: Yeah no great great question. Um, I think that trend well I guess I'll take your second question first I think that trend you know will continue because I think Um, parties involved in disputes really do see some of the the benefits. You know, I'll use an example of with many business disputes, it can be with a supplier, it could be with a partner, someone that you're going to be doing business with going forward. You know, it could be a a trademark dispute, IP dispute, what have you. Um, So you want to get it resolved, but you still want to have, you know, a, a productive relationship after that. And, you know, mediation, as an example, is one way of figuring out what's at the heart of the conflict. What are the various, you know, interests? But do it in a, you know, kind of less what sometimes can be, you know, more of a combative, you know, environment when you go to trial and everybody's, you know, kind of weaponed up, you know, for that. So I, I think people have over time seen the value of of that. And then on the arbit- arbitration side, you know, it, it can be a very efficient. Um, process when, when used appropriately in terms of challenges with getting cases to trial. You know, more and more you hear about backlogs of, of trial court. So it allows you to oftentimes get that conflict handled, you know, more efficiently. You're able to select an arbitrator. That may know a lot about that particular industry where that's important, and that can be a little more challenging sometime you know, in the uh, in, in the court system. So I think as people have really come to see some of the advantages with ADR, that's why we've seen that that increase in utilization that you spoke to.
1: Well, that certainly makes a lot of sense, particularly in settings where the parties might not be natural adversaries. Uh, let me give another side of the coin, though, in some Quarters, you see pushback on a lot of the mandatory arbitration Correct. clauses that are out there. Um, I'm wondering if uh, there's any sense that that trend might have an impact on the utilization of neutrals.
0: Yeah, it, it's certainly something we pay attention to, and as you mentioned, you know, it it, it kind of stays in the news uh, in terms of you know looking at mandatory arbitration, consumer arbitration. Uh, I guess this, despite it being in the news, you know, we haven't seen any uh, significant kind of changes in utilization, you know, Mm -hmm. using jams as an example, you know, our arbitration business is as robust as as ever. Um, Obviously, you never know what the future holds, but but that's kind of, you know, what we've seen is, you know, even with that uh, kind of dialogue about some of the, the pros and cons that, you know, I think that the benefits seem to outweigh uh, some of the concerns for 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 the users um, and you know as a neutral organization and that's really what's kind of paramount to you know what what our ethos is as a provider you know we don't so much take a stand you know on you know kind of the dialogue around you know consumer arbitration or our arbitration in general we we kind of follow the law and we want to make sure that we do the best job of providing impartial, neutral um, services to, to, to the parties to the matter. Yeah.
1: So, Mark, thank you for that. Let's get to this question of diversity and inclusion in the neutrals space. Uh, there is the perception, and you mm-hmm. can tell me if it's the reality, uh, that the major providers in this space just don't have or don't utilize very many diverse uh Especially uh, people of color, especially African Americans, uh, neutrals. Uh, Is that perception only, or is that perception that's combined with reality? Uh, And if so, why do you think that's the case?
0: So, this is how I would um, address that. I I think it's not so much a major provider versus provider in general. I say industry wide. um, Certainly, you know, people of color, you know, other classifications of uh, diversity women um, are underrepresented right and that's certainly something as you know is is a topic in the legal industry you know overall and and adr as being part of legal industry is not immune immune to that um, you know there there is a need to have more diverse individuals you know doing the work and that that's as i said you know industry-wide uh, JAMS and, uh, you know, many, if not most of our counterparts are trying to address that by, you know, getting more folks in the pipeline. Um, you know, an example of something that, that we're doing is we have a, a fellows program, a diversity fellows program that's, um, in our case, reaching out to people that have already expressed an interest in ADR careers and, and giving them the tools and experience they need to be successful um, in that. You know, I think on the on the positive side of, of, of this, Joe, is I am seeing an increase. I'm seeing the numbers go up. I know that's that's certainly true at Jam. I think it, it's it's true overall. Um, more people are getting put on the panels of, of the various ADR providers, but for sure we still have a ways to go. And when I talk about diversity in ADR, I usually end by you know, encouraging individuals, whether they be from the judiciary or whether they be practicing attorneys that have the, the, the skills, the background, and the interest in doing, in doing this kind of work to consider this you know, as a career, if not you know, uh, something they move to right now, at least envision as that as something they might eventually um, aspire to.
1: So let me throw some tough questions at you, Mark. Perceptions, right? Yes. Uh, I've had people talk about the perception that uh, people of color, African-Americans in particular, tend to be perceived as more liberal and might not be utilized as much if they are neutral in a space where most of the decision makers, in terms of retaining uh, the services of of a company like Jams, might be the corporate entities. Uh, anything to that? Have you heard that? And what would you say in response to people who have that concern?
0: Yeah, I haven't heard that so much. I mean, as as someone who's really been, you know, looking at this, you know, for a while, I think the number one challenge is this, you know, either, you know, in most cases, I think kind of subconscious habit of utilizing who we know, right and and the folks that are users of ADR services kind of going to the same people um, whether it's a list that's moving around the firm or this is who I've used for my client before it's kind of a safe choice and that has been you know kind of a homogeneous group right so I I think that plays an even bigger part than kind of someone being more liberal leaning or, or conservative leaning so if we can one make sure individuals know who's out there, kind of remove that narrative of, well, I would use more diverse individuals if I knew of some, right, and make it easy for people to find out who's out there, and then just encourage, uh, whether it's outside counsel or inside counsel that also play a role to say, hey, this is something that we feel uh, important, you know, diversity in the legal industry overall, we're having conversations with outside you know, firms about who's on our matters. Since so much of the work winds up getting settled and not necessarily always going to trial, we want to extend that same commitment to who is being selected to mediate or arbitrate our cases.
1: Well, the, you kind of addressed what my second question was going to be, which is the whole usual suspects uh, <laughs> tendency uh, and, and that uh, having an effect of making it difficult for uh, not just more diverse people, but, but new people, period, to sort of break in. You mentioned earlier the the uh, fellows program that you have, I think you call Correct. it. Correct. Right. Um, right. What, when was that conceptualized? How long has it been around and what's the result been like?
0: Yeah, we um, we launched it last year and we launched it as a pilot, um, you know, as a marketing person. I, I think I'm a, I'm a big fan of, you know, let's, you know, you pilot something. Uh, optimize it, um, you know, before you roll it out, you know, more broadly. And we piloted it in the New York area with three fantastic individuals, you know, different ethnicities, different genders, different kind of practice area, you know, focus. And, you know, it has been, you know, I think even beyond our, our expectations. And I say that not just from the feedback of the participants in terms of what their experience has been like. But what's been interesting, Joe, is that the mediators and arbitrators that were already part of the JAMS panel that stepped up to have these individuals shadow their cases to serve as mentors or sponsors, they have been just so enthused with not just the quality of the individuals that have been brought on on as fellows, but just, just derived a lot of energy from feeling like, hey, I'm having a hand in bringing on the next generation and making sure that that um, generation is reflective of this diverse um, society that we live in. So the plan is to you know, expand that more broadly this year. And uh, we, we actually, we have our uh, owners meeting uh, coming up in a couple of months. We're gonna have them uh, present to our owners to actually talk about the, the great experience they've had. As I mentioned, shadowing, um, they've gotten a chance to attend conferences, to uh, make presentations, and even conduct some of their own training. So it really has been a, 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 quite a success.
1: Mark, what's the typical uh, neutral that a company like JAMS uh, attracts? I mean, you mentioned uh, you know former judges. And in right. my experience, uh, typically, you do find a lot of uh, retired or former uh, members of the bench Who's the who's the garden variety uh, <laughs> mediator in the industry and then if you can talk about uh, with jams
0: yeah I could probably speak even even more accurately to jams and and I think you know maybe there was a time where it was you know kind of a garden variety and and now really people are more and more and I, I not just now in, in I'd say the last couple of decades um, really coming from uh, a lot of different backgrounds I guess first um, you know, there was a historical perception that you had to be, you know, a judge to join the panel of a provider like JAMS. And I think in the very early days, that that was the case. But, you know, more and more, it became apparent that um, there was significant value and experience and different perspectives that attorneys that, um, whether it was large law firms, or, you know, even midsize or sole proprietorships also brought Based on you know their vantage point, and especially if they had had a lot of settlement experience themselves, mm-hmm. so that that ratio really kind of um, swung over time. That we're you know a lot closer to fifty-fifty in terms of individuals that sit on our panel, and they they come from a variety of different you know backgrounds. We have some inside counsel. We obviously have litigators. We have judges that uh, were at different levels. You know, federal federal judges, but but folks that were also um, local judges that did, did a lot of settlement work. And we've even um, added some some non-lawyers that we thought would be uh, successful at this and provide value to our clients. So I'm thinking of one in particular who her background was um, in insurance and, and claims adjusting. And mm-hmm. you know insurance plays a significant role in many of our matters. So now we have, I mean, we always had a lot of folks that had that experience. We have someone that's truly an expert in how would, uh, an insurance company view this particular matter. So it's really become a much more you know, diverse kind of background that might lead you to uh, being on the JAMS panel.
1: Well, you just also made an argument for diversity in and of itself uh, and for the business case for diversity, I think, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think there's definitely a business case when you talk about resolving disputes, bringing in different perspectives, on a problem, um, or, you know, how to how to break through an impasse. Um, I, I I think it's effective. And we've heard that from our, our clients as well. People bring, you know, fresh ideas based on based on their journey and based on the lens in which they view things. So I think there's definitely a, a business case for um, for diversity. And depending on the type of disputes, it could also be helpful with you know, the clients and their client, the client's trust in the, in the process, right? When, when the, the uh, attorney is bringing their client and, and explaining, you know, let's say what a mediation is going to be like, and there's going to be someone at the end of the table, you know, when you see diversity um, in the room, or if it's, let's say a tripartite panel with the three arbitrators, and there's three arbitrators there, and they aren't all older white males, then you know, you have a different type of feeling, perhaps about okay, this is going to be an impartial process that is reflective of various points of view. Mark, listen. I,
1: Over the course of my career, I've uh, I've been in house, uh, including at the largest company in the world, <laughs> which is involved in a lot of litigation. Yep. Uh, with another company where we tried cases in house, so I've tried a bunch of cases and, and also at law firms, and I. I have been involved in a lot of uh, litigation, a lot of arbitration and mediation. I know the difference between good neutrals and ones who are not so good. And I uh, cannot emphasize enough how valuable a good neutral is to the process. Uh, So last question I want to ask you, for uh, anyone out there who might be interested in following this path um, but who hasn't moved in that direction, uh, what should they do?
0: You know, depending on what the individual is now is doing now, I would say certainly the more experience you can get, the more exposure to mediation or arbitration process, the better. Just getting familiar with it. You know, if you're if you're an advocate, you know, chances are you may have sat in on some. But being proactive uh, around, you know, how can I be um, whether it's your case or maybe even sitting in on a case, how can I get exposed to it? Um, talking, pe- talking to people that are doing this as a career now you know, is, is a great idea. Um, you either probably know someone who's a neutral or it wouldn't be too hard to find someone who's a practicing mediator or arbitrator. And then uh, I think for some, getting some experience actually handling some cases. There's ways of doing that through court programs, through community mediations, um, so different type of, you know, kind of volunteer or pro bono activities is going to kind of allow you to kind of get that skill and develop that rhythm of what it takes, um, you know, especially on the mediation side. So um, those are all things that I would encourage individuals to do that, that think that this might be something they might want to pursue.
1: Mark, thank you so much for your time. Uh, first of all, it's always good seeing you, Likewise.
0: Friend. Likewise, likewise. Um, I
1: I asked you to do this, and you in, immediately said you were willing to do so. This has been a very fruitful and, I think, very helpful conversation. So I just want to say thank you.
0: Well, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm happy to, you know, pretty much anything Joe West asks, I'm, I'm going to say yes to. And, you know, I'll just end by saying we, we appreciate you. I mean, you are certainly... You know been a a leader in the legal industry in general and and in particular as it relates to to DEI so uh it, it's definitely an honor to be on your podcast and, and part of the Dwayne Morris uh, DEI series thank you Mark I appreciate it my friend all right be well
1: be well